Hello, everyone. This is Kevin Ross with your three cocktail questions, latest theories. I'm a channel where I and others will speculate and discuss wild and crazy theories about all things pop culture. If this is your first time here to three cocktail questions, welcome. Okay, today I want to take another really deep dive into season eight, episode 3's The Long Night on Game of Thrones. And let me just say up front again, just like we did with uh, Arya and The Legend of Azor High, this is going to be a very very spoiler-heavy review of the subject matter we're about to get into. If you have not seen this episode, Season 8, Episode 3, The Long Night, go back and watch it. I'm not going to be upset. I won't even know that you turned off, turned it off, turned it right back on again. Go watch it, okay? I know a lot of you don't care about some spoilers, but if you do, you are really doing a disservice by not watching the episode first and come back when you're ready. Okay, are you ready? Fantastic, let's begin. We saw from episode two of season eight that Bran informed us that there are multiple Night Kings, or multiple Three-Eyed Ravens, excuse me, and a single Night King, and that the Night King's entire intention is to wipe out the Three-Eyed Raven because the Three-Eyed Raven is the collective memory of mankind. Okay, this destroys mine and a lot of people's theories about a single three-eyed raven going up and down through time, becoming multiple versions of that same person. But this does not discount the possibility that multiple three-eyed ravens are not passing along to their version of Bran in their time. So I would like you to think about Bran in another fantasy setting known as from the Benny Gesserits of the Dune series. What they were is they were a, uh, a set of if you haven't if you're not familiar with the book please go back and read it but it's a very deep dive. Uh, the Bene Gesserits were uh, gen- could genetically send uh, go up and down their memories of anyone they were related to. Okay, so I could go if I was a Bene Gesserit I could go see the, all the memories of my grandfather. Uh, I could uh, anybody that that had anything to do with my birth all the way down the line. Uh, but I had a finite lifespan, and so did the Bene Gesserits. So when a Bene Gesserit was going to die, they passed on their genetic memory to another, another Bene Gesserit, okay? And it kept the, the chain going. This seems to be what is happening with the Three-Eyed Ravens, that they are running the, the Dune Bene Gesserit model, okay? So it could still have been Bran traveling up and down those same lines of his of his of his uh green seer lineage still observing time and manipulating time now Benny Gesserits couldn't manipulate the, the what has happened in the past they could only observe it <clears throat> Bran seems to be taking on that next step of the Kwisak Zadarak out of Dune and being able to nudge and move and manipulate okay along the way which leads us now into the second question, the second thing of what actually is going on with Bran in episode three. So the battle begins in earnest, okay? And right as the storm hits uh, that the Night King, that the uh, that Craster's kids and the Night King brought with him to gr- essentially ground or level out the, uh, uh, the good guy dragons, Bran looks at. Uh, looks looks around and says, well, it's time for me to go to Theon. Well, I'm going to go now. And Theon's like, well, where are you going to go? Well, I just got to go. Rolls his eyes up in the back of his head and disappears. Now, 
if for months, even almost years, I and other people have speculated in our big collective what Bran would do in a fight like this. He would have, uh, as you've seen, warg into ravens and sort of be the uh, the drones and the information around the battlefield. You could He could then communicate with someone in the god's eye to communicate to the battlefield. But strangely, they didn't set that up in the story initially. Bran was just going to be used as bait. It, Bran was not going to war in and out to communicate to somebody. Oh, by the way, the Night King is here. The Night King is there. Uh, the the troops are amassing on the right on the right flank uh, too heavily. Oh, there's a giant zombie monster over there by, on, about ready to hit uh, Bran's left flank. None of that was there. Okay, Bran simply looked up and saw the Night King. People have speculated that he was trying to draw the Night King to him, saying, you know, flipping the powers on like a GPS. Here I am. Come get me. And we're going to go into a little bit of that a little bit later. But he he checks out. And so people are very confused as to what it was that he was actually going to do. Like I said, we I, we figured big three big things he would have done or might have done in any other setting, which was be the eyes and ears of the fight, warg into other people to save their lives. So what do I mean by that? Um, Bran can see history. So Bran would have seen the entirety of history. And and much like other people have speculated before this particular podcast, he's a little like Dr. Strange. And he would have seen uh, all 14 million trillion gazillion ways that this fight could have gone. And let's just say uh, Bran has her back turned and the – uh, giant knife is going to come down from the crazy zombie she doesn't see. Well, Bran wargs into that zombie and and either defl- uh, moves the blade out of the way or says something gets Bran's attention and chop. That that you know, Bran saves Bran's life this way. Okay, uh, a, uh, 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 Jamie's about to be rushed by a bunch of whites and they get pushed off. Uh, he gets pushed off the top of the tower over uh, the over uh, over in uh, on Winterfell. Right. What does Bran do? Well, he works into a, a zombie and trips all those zombies over, giving Jamie a chance to replace his footing. Nobody would have ever known that Bran was doing this. It was just like would have been the chaos of the fight. Problem is, this is plausible, but we never saw it. Right. And we'll get back to that, too. The last thing is why was when you initially look at the the initial charge of the Dothraki and, and uh, Sir Joran, Ghost is right there with him. So you have to ask yourself, one, what would Ghost be doing on the front lines of the fight instead of either on the inside as a second line of defense, okay, with, say, Sam, because Ghost knows Sam, or in the crypts to back up the uh, the people in the crypts, which would have been a great excuse not to have to use a, since a large direwolf, but a smaller one because of perspective and cameras and things like that. Why wouldn't Ghost hang out with Sansa as like her bodyguard. You could easily have seen Jonna signing it that way. So you would then need to, so we all assumed that Bran would then warg into Ghost and do the very same things he's doing on the bigger battlefield as he would have been doing in Winterfell, which is saving folks. So that when you see Daenerys fall off the dragon and about to be rushed by a bunch of zombies, suddenly Ghost appears and uh, begins to attack them all, tear them to shreds, very much in the same way that Daenerys swooped in and saved everybody when they were playing Snow Team 6 to capture the White in the first place, right? Sort of mirroring that mirroring that effect. Then staying with Daenerys the entire time until she gets back on the dragon, 
right? Bran could have been doing all these things and might have been doing all of these things. We just don't know. And I think that's part of part of it. Ever since season seven, we've been off the books. So let me just say it this way. If the implementers of a creative property don't have the information to create with, then the implementers have to go their own way to create what is there. I believe they the 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 showrunners have the skeleton. They know exactly the major beats. I believe that George R. R. Martin wanted uh, Arya to kill the Night King. Okay, I, I believe that is going to be the case. But how we got there, how the fight plays out, if you if you really truly look at the fight and the battle itself, there's a lot of ambiguity in it. Okay. And that's why we get down to ultimately when we go to the the second act of the fight, which is the library and Arya running around. It's merely POV of Arya and Arya moving through doing all sorts of crazy ninja Batman stuff. We don't cut to anything else on the battlefield at all, at all. And I believe that's deliberately put into place so that George R. R. Martin can write that himself for himself. Think about that. They're leaving enough room in the show to allow George to fill out the fight. Now, for a lot of us that that a lot of uh, folks out there that didn't read the books, okay, the show is going to be gospel for them. There's going to be how this whole thing plays out. So seeing the POV of just Arya will be there. But I believe that when we actually get the actual fight of Winterfell, we're going to get a lot of POVs that are written up. We're going to get the POV of Brienne and how she fought side by side with Podrick and Jamie and how that, that battle took place. We're going to get a POV of Ser Jorah and how he suddenly could have found Daenerys out there out of, out of nowhere. Okay, Was he always trying to stay as close as he possibly could with the dragon? And staying, you know, close by as she's flying along, sees the dragon about to come down and is fighting his way to it. See, for him to to mystically appear out of nowhere to save Daenerys, this is Sir Jorah, by the way, seems a little deus ex machina until you realize there's room in the, in the overall fight for him to have been able to track that. And I believe the showrunners are leaving that in place to be written in. So all the problems and all the plot holes that we are having in the story itself are going to be filled in by George. It is, to me, the compromise that was made to go to begin to bring all of this forward. Okay? So, uh, of course, as you know, that uh, we tend to get a lot of what Brian could have been doing or would have been doing. Here's some of the best ones that we found that have been out, th- out there. That Yeah, of course, he was. we mentioned before he was tracking the Night King's movement and he was manipulating the battle. But here's one that I like a lot, and it's uh, one that I tend to almost sort of subscribe to, is that Bran was fighting the Night King in a mental battle. So as the Night King is approaching, excuse me, after he's killed Theon and is approaching Bran, Bran is looking right at him. And uh, the Night King is looking right at him, and they, they lock eyes, and nothing happens between the two of them. I almost believe that there's a war of wills that's going on for two particular reasons. One, Bran might be trying to warg the Night King, and the Night King might be trying to warg Bran, right? They're both having this massive battle of wills that you can't see, right? 
again, this might be written in the book, the book as well. Brand's last line of defense to save himself, making him more heroic than what we actually see. And of course, buying time for Arya to go make that to to to, to uh, for her to show up. Okay, makes a lot of sense. Um, here's here's now, we're, but now we're going to start getting some of the, the funnier ones and the wackier ones. Bran is actually the Lord of Light. This is a stretch, a big one, but we do have strange mystical powers, and we don't know how far back in time the Green Seers go. Uh, I'm going to probably discount this one, but we don't know enough about the Lord of Light, yet, the Lord of Light, and the religion. Even though there's a lot of stuff in the Shy and everything else, but about the actual structure of the religion, I'm, I'm, but you know, I'm not going to say I'm going to count discount that as dead. But we're going to put this way on the low probability level of what of what Brown was actually doing. Then there's two of them. Bran was looking at the future, and Bran was changing the future and changing history. So let's break both of these down, because I believe there's something there. So Bran checks out the first time with Theon. He's checking out the battlefield, and everything seems to be going his way. Now Bran is fast-forwarding into Episode 4, Episode 5, Episode 6, and he's making sure that how this fight takes place is going to fall in line with how he believes the future needs to go. And if it doesn't, what he needs to do to change it. I also believe that he talked to Theon for two reasons. One, his humanity is starting to come back. He's starting to integrate with all the, he's starting to adapt to his, his new role as the main three-eyed raven. But two, he needed to buy time. It was selfish. He had to buy time. So, Arya hadn't quite got there yet. He saw that in his mind, and, and he's got to buy some time. So he talks to Theon, gives Theon a pep talk, and you can see all the night. Uh, you know, no, the the um, the undead have stopped, just waiting for their king to show up because the king wants to deliver the blow himself. We don't know why that is. It would have been much easier for just the whites to tear apart Bran, but there's a real real reason why the Night King has to destroy Bran. Okay, in the same way that. All the whites back in the cave could have ripped apart the the older three-eyed raven, Max von Sino, but the Night King wanted to do it himself. Okay? That shows a little – that shows emotion. That shows a, a willingness to want to, uh, to take the action upon yourself. So – We'll, we'll we'll leave it there, but that is an interesting thing that we'll we might want to need and we might need to dig into is why does the Night King feel that is is so important for him to personally destroy the three eyed ravens, okay? And of course, then there's the last one, which is Bran simply recording what is going on as um, humanity's memory, genetic memory. Uh, if you destroy Bran, you destroy all of that. So he's just recording everything that's going on for prosperity to get the actual true interpretation of what actually happened. Unlike what we talked about with Azor High and Arya, how the legend of something like what that massive event that we just saw will be rewritten and planted over time. Okay? But I believe the showrunners are leaving room in this story for George R. R. Martin to write. If you look at Act Two, it would you know if you go and check out the HBOs, you know how they went behind the scenes. They say they literally broke the, the this this episode down into three acts, like a movie. Um, and Act Two is Arya's POV. I really believe that in the books we're going to get other POVs other than Arya's, okay? And it's going to fill in all of these problems that we seem to have. Um, the other question is: Is that the way we should have gone? Well. We're going to get into all that when this whole thing is wrapped up. 
Okay, kind of goes way back to you know, are my are are, uh, are we having a problem with authors and things along those lines? You can go back and check that on this particular channel too. To kind of go into, it. we're going to deep dive into this whole thing again once this whole series is wrapped up. All right, but now we're going to start speculating on episode four, season eight. What do you think Bran was seeing? And I almost think that you could almost take a look at at the trailer as to the flashes that Bran is having. Because that's kind of almost how it plays plays out, right? Little flashes of a little bit of everything. Um, the drag, you know, we're going to burn a bunch of bodies at, at Winterfell. Um, we're going to do what everybody does at, at fights like this is unit, uh, unit, uh, bring ourselves together cheer each other on. We all survived a big thing. Excuse me. So we're all family. Hooray. Uh, the North will now trust Daenerys. Uh, and um, if we notice up at the table, uh, we don't have Tyrion as our hand. We have Varys. Tyrion might have retired during this process and rethink it begin to rethink his life, especially after that touching moment with Sansa. We'll get into a little bit of that soon, too. But I want to... I think we've been missing something, everybody. I started bringing it up on, on Twitter yesterday, but I think we've been missing something. I think Cersei's got an ace up her sleeve that we haven't been paying attention to, but it's been right there in front of us the entire time. So if you go back and you see, Ky- I believe we're back at episode two, and Kyburn is informing his majesty, Cersei, that there's terrible news that the dead have broken through the wall, and we have the mountain, and we have the Queen's Guards, okay? They're all dressed the same in brand new shiny armor the whole nine yards, right? Okay, that's cool. But then you start watching Cersei with other people in other in other, in other flashback, uh, excuse me, in other trailers, especially this last one. There's a great many new Queen's Guards, and they're all dressed in a similar way, which is their bodies are completely covered head to toe in armor, Dare I say, almost Darth Vader style armor. Now that's that's kind of cute, kind of funny, but Darth Vader's armor, in a lot of ways, is a life support system. In the same way that the that the that the mountains armor kind of keeps him together because he's an undead, fallen apart, rotten, you know, zombified person. I honestly believe now that Kyburn has been building an undead army for Cersei. Where does he get the bodies from? Well, uh, when we're looking at the new uh, trailer, or the new opening, excuse me, the new opening for Game of Thrones, we see that as it's going through King's Landing, and we're going through the Red Keep, we're going through the section that Kyburn tends to stay in. Oh, I'm, I'm beginning now to call that Kyburn's Laboratory in that area, that whole area down there where we have the, where he was working on the Scorpion and the, uh, the head of the Big Dragon the original uh, Balerion, the, the original big dragon, right? But I think they've converted this into a workshop and a laboratory. And I think that's where he is mass producing bodies of low folk, the recently dead, um, and those political enemies that Cersei just wants to get rid of. I think he's building an undead army. Um, I think the the initial meeting back in at uh, season seven has inspired Kyburn to figure out how to reanimate properly. And I think he's perfected the system. And I think he's been providing his majesty an undead army, which is why he told Bronn 
we have a, you know, Cersei has nice surprise for the Dragon Queen when she comes rolling through here the next time. Okay? And I think this is important for a couple of reasons. Yes, we know in the books the Golden Company has not broken a contract. But we also know they're also Targaryen and based around the Black, based around uh, the Targaryens in Blackfire. There is a, a possibility that they could finally break their first contract and go hang with Daenerys or John or both because they are the last living Targaryens and they're the last, and they're the last dragons that are around. So this might be the time that this contract is broken. And now John Daenerys have picked up 20,000 guys, but an undead army under the control of Cersei, this is an army that cannot betray her because she could easily quote unquote, turn them off or, you know, do something else. This also would lead uh, another bigger reason why Cersei begins to become the big bad in the series. If you look at the Night King and what has been described as the Night King, he is simply a force of nature created by the children of the forest to wipe out mankind. They, the children of the forest had enough of us ripping down their trees, uh, reckon, reckon shop on their lifestyle. So they finally sent this thing down to finally wipe us out once and for all. It doesn't have a choice. The Night King didn't have a choice to do this. He has intelligence, he has creativity, he has emotion, but doesn't have free will. Okay, He was not made to be this way. But now, if you take that one step further up, a person of our own species, Cersei Lannister, taking her own kind and making them undead and building an army to stop either the army of the dead, having her own army of the dead, or eliminate the land of uh, the, the remains of the north and begin populating all that out. Okay. I think Kyburn has been creating an army of the dead. And I think that's the big twist, which would allow sympathy to disappear from Cersei and make her ultimately the big bad of the series, which means now we have to, we will now completely unite the north and come down. Well, what's really going to reunite the north after all of this? Well, this is kind of how I kind of think things play out. Okay, and mind you, we have no books to check in on. We have no future knowledge to check on. This is hyper speculation. So check your check your brakes at the doors, kids. Here we go. I think Cersei sends a raven. Congratulations, you saved the realm, uh, Warden of the North, Jon Snow, because Cersei doesn't know that he's he's Aegon Targaryen. I would like to meet. You, I would like to congratulate you in person, and I would like to begin to talk treaty like we did once before. Uh, I'd like you to fly down to King's Landing and let's begin to discuss how we can bring this, this whole sad situation to close once and for all. I think John takes her up on it. I think people are trying to tell him not to, but I think he takes her, takes her up on it. And at that point in time, I think uh, John is assassinated. Rhaegal is killed and uh, Kyburn converts them both into zombies and turns John into the general of her undead army. This is hyper speculation. Okay. At this time, I also believe that Danny has taken the dragons back to Dragonstone because they're beat up and not doing well in the, in the North. Um, but then also at Dragonstone, we might, the dragons might begin to lay eggs because they were so, they were so beat up. Uh, it might be a survival mechanism. There are certain, uh, uh, mammals that tend to reproduce this way after extreme danger, they'll go into a breeding mode to go um, to go make uh, to go start to make up for lost um, loss for losses in in their ranks. So I believe the dragons might be doing this as well. Might be doing this as well. 
So Danny's going to hear about John dying and go mad, you know, okay, I've had enough. I'm going to blow this place apart. And Danny may go take Drogon and burn down the Red Keep and parts of King's Landing, maybe accidentally setting off the wildfire and blowing up the city. I don't know. Okay. Could be wild speculation on that part. On that point, I still like Plan B, which is uh, Jamie is still going to uh, Jamie's going to lead the assault force with Tyrion, and they're going to go uh, destroy uh, King's Landing because it's not it's not full of un, uh, uh, in this case if this if this speculation works out, it's not going to be full of the Night King zombies. It's going to be full of Cersei zombies. Okay, and we still get. This, the result is still the same. We still bring the population down into the catacombs, and we still light the city up. I, uh, I still believe that's what's going to happen. In some way or another, the city is going to fall down and blow, uh, and still get blown up by wildfire. But how we go about doing that is what we still have room for. And let's take a step back and think about that. Let's be grateful we have room for this, and let's be grateful that we don't know. Okay, that we don't know what's going to happen, that we're not always all so smart. Okay, that we can still all be surprised by this process. Okay, don't get upset that you saw this, that you saw all the zombies get destroyed uh, because Arya stabbed the Night King with um, uh, a Valyrian steel dagger, which means you'd have to get upset because. Uh, you take out the Borg Queen from Star Trek and all the Borg blow up. You take out the Shatari main mothership and all the Shatari die. You take out the droid the, the droid ship in episode one, all the droids die. This is a common hive mind philosophy that George has written about for a very, very, very long time. To say that George just came out of this out of a bubble is 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 a fallacy. He's done this before in other in all of other, all of his other writings too. Take out the central intelligence, everything else falls apart. Okay, but I think in season in episode four we see why the Empire strikes back. Cersei has been using lowborn and recently dead to make an undead army for herself, and Kyburn's been doing it. Okay. So I hope we all. I hope uh, my explanation of what I think is going on with Brian helps. I hope you like my newest predictions on season, episode four and, and on. Um, and let's just sit back and enjoy it. Be a little kind to each other out there. Uh, I know it's rough. I know we're all invested in this kind of thing. We all spend a lot of time uh, and some of our money on this kind of stuff. But remember, it's like a sports team. The, the show doesn't owe us anything. Okay. It doesn't owe us anything except to entertain us. If you're not entertained anymore, and I don't see how you wouldn't be, but if you're, for some reason you're really not, just don't watch anymore. Don't be angry about it. Just walk away. You still got what happened before to fall back on. Like in sports teams, uh, you know, in the recent drafts, a lot of people are very upset with certain teams that made certain decisions. Now, if I don't want to watch football anymore because of it, I don't have to, but I love football, so I'm going to watch it, okay? We're going to see how it all plays out, and I think that's where we're at. Remember, we have essentially three feature-length films, 82 minutes plus of, of four, five, and six to, fit, to, to sort all this out. And there's been enough backstory where we can hyper-excel, where the showrunners can hyper-exaggerate and give us the bones of the story with, and then with George R. R. Martin coming in and writing over top of what they've created. 
But remember, what we're going to see is from George. He gave them this, this outline of what's here. So this is what George intended, George R. R. Martin intended, okay? How they implement it without the rules in the, that George gives them is the showrunner's responsibility and their interpretation. There's also something else I'd like to say, too. In 20 years from now, this whole thing is going to get remade again. Think about that. In 20 years, this whole thing's going to be redone all over again. But we'll have, but in theory, we'll have book six and book seven, okay, to fall back on. The books that we didn't have before, we will in theory have. So those showrunners will be able to see what these showrunners have done and now be able to layer six, you know, what happened in season seven and season eight with the, with the new canonized material that George R. R. Martin created. And there'll be debates on who did it best and what happened there and what's going on here, but it'll exist. So don't get crazy about this stuff. Enjoy what we have in front of us. We live in a remarkable time, a remarkable time where things like this can happen. Let's all, let's all just take a deep breath and appreciate what's going on. In Game of Thrones, have a little tea and a lemon cake, okay? Sit back, breathe, relax. I promise you it's going to be fine. We're going to be stressed out in a good way, but it's all going to work out. It'll all be fine. All right, everybody, this has been Kevin Ross, and we appreciate your time. Uh, please like, strive, uh, just like, subscribe, and share this with your friends, your family. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks very much.